0: Caught myself struggling with a communion cup again today and couldn't get it open. One of the people on the praise team saw and had a good time over that. I just realized that that bottom tab comes off by the plastic thing. I've been trying to peel it off that little plastic thing. Nobody told me. Yeah. Appreciate you all letting me struggle like that. That was good. Would you please take your Bible and turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 9 to 20 this morning. Nehemiah 2, 9-20. to 20. I'm hearing more and more uh, preachers say that the Old Testament uh, is really not worth studying, and that just uh, makes my spiritual blood boil. Uh, there's, uh, there's so much in the Old Testament that we need to know and we need to learn from, and uh, we, uh, we spend a lot of time here because it is a uh, bigger half of the Bible uh, than the New Testament, and there's a lot in there. So we continue on. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 to 20. Now, I want to begin this way. It certainly isn't always a breeze to do the work of Jesus Christ in our world. There is sometimes opposition from even within the church, and there's opposition without of the church. And we are running into more and more opposition, uh, even in our country, for the gospel. For instance, I cannot believe the hostility, the open hostility, that people uh, put against Franklin Graham, who had the audacity to bring free medical care to help a major city with his ministry during the outbreak of the COVID virus. Uh, It was unbelievable to me, the accusations and the things that were leveled uh, against them, when they came only to help whoever wanted help, whoever needed it, and uh, just to watch the way they were almost just shut down, Uh, And uh, it reminds me of what I like to say, no good deed will go unpunished, and that one certainly was. Uh, The Samaritan's Purse is his ministry, and they brought their medical ship there and set up a, a hospital just to help, and they were raked over the coals because they believe things in the Bible are meant to be the truth and are meant to be believed. Well, we are in the same position. We don't have a boat, we don't have a hospital, but we believe what the Bible says is true. Because of their stand on biblical principles, people tried to cause all kinds of trouble for them. Clearly today, uh, no good deed, no Christian deed is going to be unchallenged or unpunished. That's the world that we now live in. Uh, Dr. Nykalation gave this illustration from actually another commentary by Strauss and Walton. But he said this, Many of us have experienced the wearing of team colors at a sporting event, and ending up surrounded by people dressed in the other team's colors. Opposing fans uh, may have joked, taunted, booed, or even thrown things uh, at you because of your color you were wearing. Representing the opposing team in hostile territory means you will sometimes stand out and you will be mocked. When we stand out for God in this world, we will face the same persecution and misunderstanding that Jesus Christ did. It just means we are loved by him and hated by the world. Now, that's not going to happen unless you're wearing the team colors of Jesus Christ, which means you're living it, you're talking about it, you're upholding it, and you're sticking with what the Bible says we should believe. Well, if you are, then you will know what it is like to be in spiritual battle. The spiritual battle has raged on this planet from the very fall of man and woman in the garden. And it continues to erupt every single day. Will you and I keep fighting the good fight? Will we carry on and continue to believe the things we're supposed to believe and hold them dear to our hearts? Will we do that? That's the issue. Now, one of the values of looking at Nehemiah and Ezra and Esther, which we're going to look at next, is that we can see people caught in the reality of life with opposition from the government, opposition from other people that are around that just don't like them, and how they knew they had a work for God to do, and what happened to them, and how did they go about it, and how did they get it done? That's the issue. So reading in verse 9 of Nehemiah chapter 2. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river. So he said, You went across the Euphrates River. We talked about the fact that that could be an eight or nine hundred mile trip, depending on how you actually went. And I gave them, uh, beyond the river, I gave them the king's letters. So remember, last time he was praying, and Artaxerxes said, What's on your heart? And he said, Well, my, my uh, hometown is in ruins. The walls are torn down, and this needs to be repaired, and that needs to be repaired. And he said, I want to go back and do it. And Artaxerxes said, I will let you go do that. But you're going to have to come back someday, which we know he did many, many years later. But he let him have letters so that wherever he went, he could give it to the provincial leaders and say, look, the king said I could do this. And he could give to the forest keeper for the king a letter that says, we need some timber. And they would just give it to them. Now that's what he's talking about here, that a king had sent me officers of the army and horsemen with these letters. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officials heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So in that area, the provinces and the provincial leaders that are in that area, two of them, Sanballat and Tobiah, Both don't like the Jews, they don't want anybody caring about the Jews, they don't want somebody rebuilding uh, that temple which they've rebuilt, and they certainly don't want them to put up walls around the city. They don't like the welfare of Israel in any way. It doesn't say why, it doesn't say anything else, just that they don't care about anybody that is seeking the good of somebody of Israel. Verse 11, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days, and I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except uh, the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate inspecting the wall of Jerusalem which was broken down and its gates which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and then the king's pool but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor that I had uh, yet told the Jews, nor had I yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who did the work. So what I want you to get out of that as we think about this is, He went back to do a job, and he did not announce what he was doing. He didn't tell anybody, because the minute you tell somebody, you risk it getting out. So he just didn't do that. Verse 17, then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and that its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. In other words, the reviling and the mocking coming from the people around there. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me, so and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, Let us arise and build. So they put their hand to the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And they mean if you're going to build a wall, you must be something going on here between you and the king. They're just trying to cause them trouble. They're just trying to uh, say things about them that aren't true. So I answered them and I said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. Now I want you to take a minute and look very closely at what he just did. He went out at night and he went and reconnoitering and looking at the walls, see what's going on here, so we can rebuild, didn't tell anybody, until he came back. And he found out that there were people there that were really opposed to this, despite the fact that he had letters from the king. He has letters to be able to get wood from the forest of the king, He has letters that they should be able to do this, but they're not listening. They're not listening at all. How come when they said, why are you doing this, he didn't say, well, why didn't you read the letter the king gave me? Why, what about that? Well, they had. And why didn't you notice that I had some of the king's officers and some of his military with me? If I was doing something I shouldn't do, don't you think they would have stopped me? No, they're here to support me. And that's why he doesn't say, look at the letters, look at the army, look at the officers. He said, our God sent us to do this, and that's what we're going to do. Because they're not listening to reason. They're not listening to the king. They don't want this to happen, so they're making up all kinds of stuff, and Nehemiah puts it right where it ought to be and says, our God told us to do this, and we're going to do it, and let them argue with God. Verses 9 and 10. Despite believers having legal authority, the enemy despises any success that we have. Despite believers having legal authority, the enemy despises any success that we have. Now, it is simply amazing what we read here. Nehemiah has been given official letters from the king, Artaxerxes, to be able to build and repair the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. You use a wall, and you use gates to keep people in or to keep them out. And everybody knows that. So you build them for safety and sometimes people built walls to protect themselves from somebody who wanted to control them. And that's what these guys are going to say. You're trying to rebel against Artaxerxes. Well, no, he's not. Nehemiah is one of Artaxerxes' most favorite people. These letters that are accompanied, accompanied by a group of the officers in the king's army and horsemen that belong to the cavalry, all right? And by the way, uh, I get a kick out of people saying that Jesus died in the cavalry, and I think he died on cavalry, and uh, cavalry, you ride horses, so um, why are they there if his intent is to go against the king? Surely the governors across the river, the Euphrates, could tell that the king was behind this, and he's in favor of it, because that's what Nehemiah said the king did, and then he had the letters to prove it. Uh, This is the king's country, and Nehemiah was about to do in Jerusalem what he had permission to do, Now, we might note here that where Ezra's group took about four months to get to Jerusalem from Babylon, Nehemiah and his group made it in about two months. Friends, that's moving uh, in those days. Nehemiah is a driven man. I'm sure he didn't want to mess around. He wanted to get there. He is a mover and a shaker. And I'm sure that the military officers and the, the soldiers that they had always have somewhere else they need to be, and they would like to just get this done and move on. So they get there in about half the time that it takes other people to get there. Nehemiah had a military escort, and remember, Ezra didn't. Ezra carried millions and millions of dollars worth of of temple utensils and gold and silver and precious things, and they made a decision, we're going to do it just by the help of God, and he's he's a righteous man, he's a spiritual man. Nehemiah accepted the help of the king to get there, and he's a spiritual man, and he's a righteous man. God works differently in different ways. So I don't want us to chastise Nehemiah because he asked for a guard, all right? And I don't want us to think that Ezra's more spiritual because he went totally by faith. God works in different ways, and he sent this military escort. It may be that without them, uh, they'd still take another two months just to get there. God doesn't handle every ministry the same way, and he doesn't handle every ministry situation the same way, But every ministry requires trust in God. So look, if you're in the middle of a ministry, say it's somewhere in Iwana and you're doing something different from somebody else, and God does something for them, but he didn't do it for you, uh, it doesn't mean they're more spiritual. Or if God, uh, you know, if they went went by faith alone, and you had to ask for some help, it doesn't mean you're less spiritual. Uh, There are differences in ministry, and, and God knows. Everything has to be done by faith in spite of the royal orders and royal guard, the leadership in the area doesn't like what they see. Sanballat and Tobiah, both officials under Artaxerxes, they answer to the king, which means I don't understand how they thought they could get away with this, but apparently they are in some way, uh, are fairly upset by these developments. They were displeased. The Hebrew text here literally says, the news was evil to them. And that word evil means injurious or wrong. In other words, they are really upset that these guys are coming back to help the Jews. Uh, that, that they were the people who were seeking the good of Israel irked them. This and, poss- and probably the power issues caused them to be against what was happening. Maybe they were afraid of losing their province or something like that. It is interesting... That later on in the book, we find out that Nehemiah himself is a provincial leader. He's a leader and governor of the province. So something happened there, probably because Artaxerxes wanted it to be that way. In recent days, we have had to face what we consider an attack on our constitutional rights uh, in the Bill of Rights. Amendment number one says, religion and expression... Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peaceably, peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, note that Amendment 1 guarantees the right to peaceable assembly. Well, that's one of the things we had to wrestle with when we decided to go with, uh, you know, we're going to have to ask people to wear masks because that's what uh, the governor has said to do. The governor has a legal right to do that. That's a law that came differently than that most do through the legislature. I know that because I asked my lawyer's son to tell me what the answer was on that. And so we did it. Is it, is, it a, is it a threat to our free speech? Well, not yet. Is it a threat to our assembly? Well, No. Uh, but we had a threat to our assembly early on, and those were those were hard issues for us as elders to try to work through. What are we going to do for our people? How are we going to keep them together? How are we going to get the word out to them? And those were all issues that were made very difficult. I also noticed that there's a lot of people that all of a sudden became constitutional lawyers that have never had a single law class and speaking about what is, what is legal and what is not legal. Well, um, I don't know about all that, But there are those who want to silence conservative churches uh, across our land. And we are seen as enemies of the progress of social good in our land. Therefore, we are targeted to be quieted, uh, just like they overcame most of our secular uh, schools of higher learning. Uh, They want to do the same with the church and take over. In many churches, they've already won. In many churches, they've already laid the Bible down, and they quit talking about what the Bible really says, and that's where the pressure is going to come. Social good has replaced the good of calling people to faith in Jesus Christ as the highest goal of our Christian church. My goal for reaching people with the gospel is higher than anything else that my government decides to do, and so is yours. Many in the world do not want our morality. That's becoming very clear. God's standards of right and wrong. Insistence that all people are sinners and in need of salvation. They don't want to hear that either. And that Jesus is the only way to eternal glory. They don't want to hear that. None of this is new. It is the same thing that Satan has been doing against God's people through the ages. Now it's our turn. To stand for Christ. Government interference with the mission of the Bible, the mission of God, the mission of Christ, that's nothing new, nothing at all. If you don't believe that, read Daniel again, or look at Paul, look at Peter, look at the host of Christ's followers who have suffered because they followed the Lord Jesus Christ and would not give in. We cannot expect the forces of our enemy to play fairly by the rules. Nehemiah knew that there was as much opposition spiritually about what he was doing as there is opposition today So we pray for the christians That lead us in our government who are fighting a tremendous battle And we pray for those who are not christians that they would open their hearts to god In verses 11 to 16, we learn that we are to be as wise as serpents And as innocent as doves now our text here doesn't say that But if you'll look at Matthew chapter 10, with me for just a minute. All right, Matthew chapter 10 and uh, verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. This is why Nehemiah decided I'm going to reconnoiter the walls and I'm going to do that in private. I'm going to do it and nobody's going to know I'm doing it. It's the wise thing to do. Um, I, I like uh, this, this saying, don't throw, uh, don't throw a match in a room full of gas. It's just going to explode. If you can keep it from exploding, then, then don't throw in a match. All right, don't Wait, wait and see what God does here. And that's what Nehemiah did. Jesus said, I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves. What do wolves do with sheep? Well, they tear them they kill them, Uh, they ruin them, they destroy them, Uh, they take their life, they make them lame, they do all kinds of things to them. I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now he doesn't say become a wolf, right? Uh, You're still going to be a sheep, there's still going to be wolves, but he says, so here's what you do. Be as shrewd as serpents, or as wise as a serpent, and innocent as doves. You know, a lot of that goes along with what he later said uh, through Paul, speak the truth in love. Whatever you do, realize you're in enemy territory. Realize that there are not people out there that support everything that you do for Christ, and you need to be very wise about how you go about it. You still have to go about it and do what's right, but be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And that's what we're called to do. We are to be shrewd. The word means sensible and prudent in our dealings with the world. What, the world is really not our enemy. We're trying to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't hate our enemies. We love them and we want them to hear the good news of Christ. But they don't know any better and they're going to try to shut us down. So we, we have to do this. We have to do what he's telling him here. Jesus said that he's sending us into a world where we are the sheep and the world contains wolves. So be careful. Watch how you do what you do. Speak the truth in love. Cause no harm to anyone. So Nehemiah knows that he is uh, being opposed. And he also knows that God's work must go forward. God had laid on his heart that he wanted him to do for Jerusalem in terms of his work, the building of the walls and the gates. First of all, the wall around the temple and then the wall around the entire city. He decided not to make a big parade of people uh, meeting and walking around the ruined wall uh, to decide what to do about that destruction. So he didn't call a meeting of all those contractors and say, hey, let's get together in the middle of the day, let's walk the wall, let's see what really needs to be done here, and then we'll put our plans together and make a big show of it because he knows there's people out there who don't want this to happen. So why would you do that? Wisdom would indicate that when you can, don't throw a match in that room full of gas. He takes a small band of trusted men with him by night to check out what needs to be done. Because the location of the ancient gates changed their names throughout history, uh, those gates around Jerusalem, they've changed at times. No one can be exactly certain of the location of these particular gates and their names. So we're, we're just going to say he went out one gate, he went around about three-fourths away, came back that way, and came back in the same gate wherever that was. Now we, we have ideas, but it really doesn't matter. Uh, it just matters where he went. So it would seem, however, that Nehemiah began in the nighttime reconnoitering, checking out the wall situation on the southwest side of the lower part of the city of Jerusalem and worked his way some distance up the east side and then he backtracked and reentered the city by that same gate. But none of us are going to die for that because we don't know the names of all those gates. Part of the wisdom that he put into play was that none of the people, officials or otherwise, knew what Nehemiah and just a few other men had done. Word would stay away from the governors of the province since people did not know what was going on until just the right time. I want to remind you of what Jesus said about people. If you look in John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 2, a bunch of people really got enthralled and caught up in the excitement And wanted to make Jesus the king right then and there. And Jesus knew that would be the wrong thing to do. What does Jesus know about us, about people? It's not good. He says in verse 24, But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. In other words, not believing in those people. For he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man... For he himself knew what was in man. (laughs) Jesus knew when to entrust himself to people. And he knew on that day he'd end up in his death. And it wasn't time yet. Jesus knows what's in our hearts. He knows the problems that we have. Even in our saved condition, we can be real rascals at times. And we can be uh, capable of doing anything else that any unbeliever can do. Now, we shouldn't, of course. But he knows what's in us. And what's in us is the sin nature still. And so Jesus was not entrusting himself to those people who wanted to make him king right away. God had laid on his heart what God wanted him to do. When he gets there, he waits three days. Nobody knows why, except maybe he was tired, or maybe it would be a full moon in three days. That would make a lot of sense. That's how you could see outside in the dark what the, what the wall was like. He decided not to make a big parade, so uh, he just goes with a few, and he trusts those men. Part of the wisdom that was put into play was that none of the people, the officials or otherwise, had word of this. And they're going to find out, but not yet. You know, we always mean well. I think we do. But people sure do have a problem keeping secrets at times, don't we? Uh, Usually what happens is that we say to ourselves, Hey, what somebody just told me that I shouldn't tell, I can keep that a secret. But I do need to tell a couple of my very close and trusted friends so they can be praying. And uh, all, the pro- all the time, the problem is all your close friends have their close friends, and their close friends, they have their close friends, and pretty soon everybody's been told. And uh, we need to watch that. Then we get in trouble. Neon and knew who he could trust, and unfortunately he knew, uh, fortunately I guess for him, he knew who he couldn't trust. I want to read another illustration from Strauss and Walton. It comes from a classic sermon. Here's what it says. During his tenure as chaplain of Hope College in Holland, Michigan, the Reverend Ben Patterson was fond of pointing out that soldiers during the Great War didn't jump from their trenches with hurt expressions and ask the other side, was it something that I said that you're so angry and shooting at me? The spiritual battles that we face, according to Patterson, are not always really about us. Our enemy is raging against Christ in us and is opposing him and his church by leveraging myriads of weapons and human obstacles against us. Our task is not to take it personally and wonder if we have done wrong. Our task is to uh, suit up in spiritual armor, show up on the battlefield, and persist for Christ. And knowing that the resistance is just a part of the story and that you and I are doing the right thing. And I think he's absolutely right about that. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 tells us, we are not fighting people. We are not fighting flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and authorities. And he's talking about the uh, levels of opposition in Satan's... uh, way he set up his authority structure so that he could command uh, the enemies around the world. And there are leaders of those enemies, and there's higher-ups in there. That's who we are against, and that's what we need to remember. All opposition that we face has a spiritual force behind it. If it's about Jesus, if it's about what we've done for Christ, if it's about our our religion. We can have people against us who need to be against us because we did something wrong. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about doing something for Jesus. So then in 17 through 20, we learned that when God's hand is favorable favorable toward us, it matters not who is against us. I think Nehemiah had it up to here with listening to people that that were in opposition to what he was going to do. They really don't matter anymore because God sent him there. God changed the heart of the king He has the king's paperwork. Everything is in line to say this is the will of God. And so at this point, he says, it doesn't matter what they want. What matters is we do what God called us to do. Romans 8.31 tells us, uh, and I'm only using half the verse here, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer to that is no one. Not Satan, not demonic forces, not other people, not family members. If God is for us, no one can successfully be against us. Nehemiah reported to the heads of the families and religious leaders that the city of Jerusalem is in such bad shape that they are a reproach to their neighbors. This is not the way you present the city of God. This is not the way you present the righteous city of God. They are seen as insignificant and without a fortified city. Now, we should know that God's city needs to be honoring to God, not broken and in disarray. I kind of have the same feeling, but not for the same reasons, about our church building that God gave us. Uh, I think when people see our church building and see what's inside, uh, we want it to be that which says we care about the things of God, we care about God, and this is how we want to represent him. I want to just give you a a little uh, taste of that in Psalm 48. And I decided to read the whole thing. This is about uh, the beauty and the glory of Zion, God's holy hill, where the city of Jerusalem is built. It says, Great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Notice his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north. The city of the great king, God in her palaces, has made himself known as a stronghold. For lo, the kings assembled themselves. They passed by together. They saw it, and then they were amazed. They were terrified. They fled in alarm. Panic seized them there. Anguish as of a woman in childbirth with the east wind. You break the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen. In the city of Yahweh, our host, the city of our God, God will establish her. Forever. We have throughout our out your loving kindness, O oh, we I'm sorry, we have thought on your loving kindness, O oh God, in the midst of your temple. As is your name, O oh God, so your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Then he goes on, talks about Zion shall be glad because that's where the King of Kings is at. I think the Bible teaches us that we need to care about worshiping God. We need to care about his reputation. And that takes many forms. We need also to care about those things connected to both of those issues. God himself and that which is represented by God. And by the way, don't forget, while we're thinking about taking care of our church and making it honoring to God, the real temple of God is you. And the real place that he needs to be honored first and foremost is in my life and in your life. Because we are the temple of God. When, you, when people see us and see what we do, will it bring, bring, will, it bring, will it bring glory to God or will it bring something else? Nehemiah invites them to get with it, get in there and build God's city, build the walls. He relates to them how God's hand was so evident and favoring in him being able to come and do this work in the first place their response was to put their hands to the task. In other words, let's get with it, let's get to work. The city has been in disarray now for almost 140 years. They were putting their faith in God in verse 20 to make their work uh, profitable, work for God that he wanted them to do, to be successful. But those who have opposed, they have no part in the work of God, no portion in it, no right or no memorial in Jerusalem. Note that the enemy mocked them and accused them of wrongdoing. But we always follow God when his word opposes the desires of men. just want to take a minute and uh, read a couple of places uh, that I want to fit together with what I just said there. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And then uh, our... uh, Apostles, heroes of our faith, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. If I can find it here. But Peter and the apostles answered, these are to the officials, that told them to stop talking about Jesus. We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. Let's, uh, before communion, let's draw together some of these issues that we've been talking about. Here's what New Testament people can do (laughs) uh, to learn from the Old Testament. Number one, let us always know it is God, not men, who determines something's success or failure. It is God, not men, who determines something's success or failure. We might even say someone's success or failure. It is our goal to obey God, secondly, when his word conflicts with the words of men. Let me add, with the views of men. Or, if you will, with the goals of men. It is our goal to obey God when it conflicts uh, with the words of men. When God is doing something, number three, it is best that we get on board. If God is at work, let's get to work with him. And finally, number four, flesh and blood is not our problem. That means the human flesh, people, are not our problem. Our problem is the opposition of the satanic forces in this world. I'd like you to just take a second and think about that and how it's going to impact what you do today and this week where you work. how you're going to serve God in that way. While you're doing that, uh, we're going to prepare to take the Lord's Supper together in just a minute. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for teaching us from the example of a godly man who loved you with all of his heart, his soul, and his strength a man who knew what opposition was to his ministry, and a man who put you first and trusted you above all others. We have put our faith in you. We have trusted you for our salvation. So why is it so hard for us, Lord, to trust you with everyday things? It seems so incongruous to me that we trust you with our eternal life, but we can't trust you with uh, something that might happen at work today. I pray that you would help us to be people of faith, that we would choose it, knowing that you are trustworthy and that you are worthy. Uh, The reason we're taking this meal is because we believe we'll eat it with you again. We want to remember what you did, and we want to remember what you're going to do. And who knows how close we are uh, to those days when we will eat with you in your kingdom. We look forward to it. Until then, we remember it. In your precious name we pray. I want to read, I guess I'm in Matthew 26 here, starting in verse 26. It says this, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins." But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The issue is, right now we don't see the presence of Jesus, though he's with us. One day we'll eat this meal in his kingdom, and we will be with him, and we will see him. We remember what he did by faith. We look forward to what he's going to do by faith. I'd like you to think about that. We're going to take the bread first in a minute. We're going to ask Justin if he'll lead us in prayer for that. everyone a chance. We'll take it together in just a minute. if you are one of those who believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins, do this in remembrance of him. We're going to have Brad ask the blessing on the cup. As she plays, I invite you to pray to the Lord and commune with him, and in just a minute, we'll take the cup together. Those of you who have believed that the blood of Jesus Christ has washed away your sins, do this in remembrance of him. If you'll please stand and open your hymnals to page 74. We will close by singing Majesty. Yes, Heavenly Father, we do thank you today uh, that you have sent your Son to die on the cross uh, to take our sins away, that if we just put our faith in Him. We thank you for that great act of love. In Jesus' name, amen.